I'm Rebecca Rothstein, and along with my co-host, Leanne Daly, we'd like to welcome you to Say It Forward. Each week, we'll be doing one of my favorite things to do, and that's interviewing interesting people with out-of-the-ordinary life stories. They're all people who took a different path in life. Some never imagined the heights they would achieve, and others, well, they turned their childhood dreams into reality. So let's begin. Jean Smart is a versatile character actress who has worked on stage and screen, but found the bulk of her success on television. After college graduation, she performed in regional theater and made her Broadway debut in the play Piaf, portraying the legendary actress Marlena Dietrich. That show jump-started her career by leading to the role of Charlene Fraser on the hit sitcom Designing Women. It was there that she met co-star Richard Gilliland, who became her future husband and to whom she is still married. Smart left that series to try her luck in movies. To avoid being typecast as a comedy actress, she took the role of serial killer Eileen Wuornos in the deadly biopic Overkill. She's won three Emmy Awards and has been nominated for and won many SAG, Critics' Choice, and Tony Awards. In addition to playing the president's emotionally unstable wife on the hit TV series 24, she's appeared in diverse roles on series and movies such as Fargo, Frasier, Harry's Law, Sweet Home Alabama, The Accountant, and Bringing Down the House. Now that she's in the house, let's rewind to the beginning and say it forward with Jean Smart. I know a little bit about your life story, but I'd like to know more. So we're going to start at the beginning with the most basic question. Where are you from? I was born in Seattle, Washington. Born and raised in Seattle. No kidding. Yeah. Is your family still there? Um, yes. Uh, well, my two brothers. Um, my parents and my sister have passed away, but both my brothers and their kids, some of their kids live there. It's so gorgeous. you lived there. So and when you were in high school, were you a performer? Were you, when did you get that's, your acting bug? That's, well, I mean, I was always the family ham, you know, my sister <laughs> and I would, and our friends, we would put on plays in the neighbor's garage and we would charge admission and sell popcorn and you know it was it was fun it i've got to say i my childhood was so great that way because of course it was before cell phones and video games and most of the time growing up we didn't have a tv even if the tv broke my dad thought well i don't feel like you know can't afford to fix it right now so who cares and so if there was a special tv show on i would go to my friend barb's house across the street and I never missed it. You know, I didn't care. But I mean, we had a neighborhood packed with kids. And so we'd be out playing kick the can until the sun went down. And we'd put on parades. And I don't know how we got the boys <laughs> to go along with some of this stuff. We actually put on a wedding one time. I think my sister was like the cruise director. You know, she she just <laughs> called all the shots. We'd go, okay. Uh, um, so, yeah. so you were kind of acting in a way in the neighborhood because there were all these sort of – I guess. Yeah. And in every family picture, you see me making goofy faces, so I, I don't know. But no, I, but yeah, in high school, I definitely decided that's what I was going to – Were you the so. most popular girl in high school? Oh, I, I mean, I was popular. I don't know. If I would No, I don't think I would say Because you're so pretty and have such Ooh. a nice, vivacious personality <laughs> that, you. you know, people – I think I was well-liked, but – I used to think it was strange, and then I thought it was a good thing that I didn't have a clique. I didn't have a crowd that I ran with. I mean, I didn't even really have like a best 
friend kind of. I don't yeah. know. It was it was odd. I remember even walking into the lunchroom thinking, I don't know who to sit with because I would hang out with all the kids in the drama department sometimes. Uh, I would hang out with the athletes and the cheerleaders and the really cool kids, you know, because I was a cheerleader and all that. Um, and then other time, times I would hang out with all the kind of wild kids because my boyfriend was a my well that was my other high school boyfriend um he was kind of <laughs> a, a couple boyfriends major huh? bad boy hi ron if you're listening um <laughs> it was weird and i thought that's kind of odd maybe at that age to not have i don't know to not attach myself to a certain group i would just kind of drift you were, between these groups and i open. enjoyed everybody and i thought well maybe as an actor, that's a good thing. I don't know. Or maybe I just have no, absolutely no self-image whatsoever. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was strange. But you didn't have an unhappy experience in high school. Oh, no, no. Yeah. I, no, high school was, was great. Did you have acting on your mind? Like, was that Not like, then. I'm going to... No, it never crossed my mind, I don't think, to... I would make try to make a living at it until I was a senior in high school, and then I got bit by the bug. And I had a particularly good drama teacher. His name was Earl Kelly, and he he was quite a character and he 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 treated us and demanded things of us as if we were a professional acting troupe he couldn't bear the fact that i was a cheerleader he would just roll his eyes <laughs> did you so stay like, in touch with him i did actually yeah, so he, he saw your success yeah he did he did and he was a friend of my dad's my dad was a high school teacher and they actually taught in the same school for a while oh the, your dad was a teacher at the same high school you went to no that no um he was had moved to another school by then but he used to teach there yeah. that's so, so funny so of course when i was hanging out with the hoodlum all the teachers were just like <laughs> oh my god doug smart's daughter's hanging out with you know who <laughs> You can't make that up. That's so you know, funny. He, he was the male version of the hooker with the heart of gold. You know, I mean, I just I was the bad boy who was the, the sweetheart. You know, it was irresistible. You know. So it sounds like you had a nice growing up life. And I did. Yeah, actually, I did. So then, what happens? You get out of high school, still in Seattle. Yeah, I wanted to go to Washington State because my sister had gone there, and she made it sound like so much fun. But my mother, I was seventeen when I graduated from high school, and. I had gotten type 1 diabetes when I was 13. I think it freaked my parents out so much that my mother said she just wasn't ready for me to go to school on the other side of the state. She just wanted to keep me in. And thank God, Mama, I thank you so much. I don't even know how my life would have turned out if she had let me go there because they didn't really have a drama department. They had mm -hmm. a speech department, and occasionally they put on plays. But the University of Washington had a phenomenal drama department and then a really great BFA program, which I got into. But So she uh, wanted me to stay in town, so I got into the University of Washington, and uh, where they had both gone to school. And my grandmother had gone to school there, too. So now you're in college. Uh -huh. You're having a life. Were you performing in college theater? Oh, yeah. All the yeah. way through? Yeah. I phenomenal teachers. One of them I still see quite often. Her name is Eve Roberts. She was brilliant and gorgeous. And, oh, my God, she was amazing. She was also a phenomenal actress. So were you committed at that point in time to knowing that that's how you were going to live? That's what I was going to major in. That's what you were going to yeah. do? When I first told my parents, my mother was not happy. What because, did she see for you? Well, I think she felt, because she'd grown up so poor during the Depression, my dad had too, and I think she felt that because to her going to college was such a dream that, that she 
actually finally got to do. And then she'd she'd have to keep dropping out to make money to go back. And it was always on the dean's list. And it took her six years to graduate because she had to keep you know dropping out to make money. And um, and she was in the navy. And she just felt that I was being frivolous. That I just was not appreciating the fact that because I always just took her for granted. I was going to go to college. I mean, both my parents went to college. My dad was a teacher. There was never any question that I wasn't going to go to college. So I think she felt that I was taking it for granted and I wasn't being very practical. But but almost immediately when I started doing shows and stuff, she became my my biggest fan. That's fantastic. <laughs> my biggest supporter. That's so fantastic. And my daddy, too. Did you start to get, I don't know um, what the right way to ask this question is, but did you get scouted like they do baseball players, you know, to, to people, their agents and people who would represent you in the acting community come to a place like where you went to college and start looking for talent in the audience? I think they only do that at Yale. Yeah. <laughs> in retrospect, I wish I had gone to Yale. Northwestern, too, Just for the bit. connections. But certainly by the time I, I finished, which was five years, because I did two years, and then I got into the BFA program, and then I did three, three more years. All the people who ran all the theaters, because there's so much theater in Seattle, I was actually able to make my living in the theater when I got out of college. Not much of a living, but I was actually able to make a living. I just worked constantly because they all knew me from all the shows I did in college. What I noticed is you were working sort of in, a, in the, the local market, and then you just kept expanding out and out with repertory, right? Mm-hmm. Like you ended up going to Philadelphia. Like, can you talk about those days? And Oh, yeah. It was wonderful. I mean, I always I feel a little bit guilty because I never feel like I kind of paid my dues, you know? <laughs> I, never, I never waited tables. I never worked a civilian job once I got out of college. You don't I actually that. got married the night I graduated from college, and I had been offered a part in King Lear at the Public Theater in New York. And I didn't even really know what a big deal the Public Theater was, so I thought, no, I'm not getting married. I don't, I don't need to do that. Wow. <laughs> I, explain, to explain to me husband. what that is, what that means, the Public Theater in New York. It, Joseph Papp, um, it was – a phenomenal regional theater. It's set in Manhattan. They still do incredible work, and they wanted me to play one of the bad sisters in King Did it, Did the opportunity come around again? Not that play, no. Not but the to work no. there in that theater? No. no. So you never worked with Joe Papp? No. Oh, what oh you yeah. got married instead. I know. My, my first husband was, I had gone to college um, with my sister, and uh, she used to talk about him all the time when I was in high school. Oh, my friend John this, my friend John that, and and then I finally met him when I was 20, and we did a play together, a two-character love romantic comedy play. That's so – I love that story. <laughs> and you yeah. fell in love. And we fell in love. How long were you married? We were only married uh, about two and a half years. He was in the military, which he hated, bless his heart, but he, he did it because he wasn't sure what to do, and his father had been unhappy – I think with him in college because, uh, you know, he sort of had long hair and smoked dope and was in the drama (laughs) department. And his father was a full bird colonel in the Army. And so some of that didn't go over well. So I think after college, when he didn't quite know what to do with himself, he thought, you know what, I'm going to go to OCS. Was this post-Vietnam? This was just as Vietnam was winding down. Luckily, Mm -hmm. he did not have to go. We were in Japan for a while. That's so cool. So, okay, so now you're out of college, and then what happens? We got married. We immediately went to Cherry Point, North Carolina, which was very pretty, but it was so hot and humid, and there were bugs I'd never seen before, and I, and it was, and I just thought, I'm going to die here. I'm, gonna die. I'm just going to have to lock myself in the house and 
take cold showers all day because it's so hot. You know, you get out of the shower and 20 minutes later you're dripping and you just think. Okay. <laughs> Why did you go there? Well, he was stationed there. Oh. <laughs> did you work in the places where he got stationed? Did you like sort of? The only time I actually was going to do that was when we were when he was in Japan. I met this other we met this other couple, and it was the only couple we met the entire time he was in the service that we really, really liked and felt we had stuff in common with because we met, met some kind of scary people. <laughs> but um, – and so I made friends – we made friends with them, and we used to play tricks with each other. We would – one of the things that we got as a wedding present as a joke when I graduated from some friends of mine in the drama department, they gave us these giant pink plastic flamingos for your front yard. They thought that was hilarious. Well, we thought it was so funny we didn't want to give them up, so we actually schlepped them with us everywhere. <laughs> and when we were in the backseat of the car, <laughs> when we were in North Carolina, we would get up at you know three in the morning. We'd say, "Let's go put them in in Margaret and Tab's yard," you know. And so <laughs> they'd wake up in the morning and find these things in their front yard. And then about a week later, we'd make up, wake up, and they'd be there in our in front of our door, and That's that so went funny. back and forth. And then we. Then we were also with them in Japan, which was great. Thank God they saved our sanity. And and she and I decided, let's do a play in the officer's club, you know. And so we were going to do – I can't remember what we were going to do. Uh, and we met with the CO of the base, and he said, great. And we were going to have it all set up. And we ordered these scripts, and then the scripts didn't come because there was a train strike in Japan, and they didn't – and then it just ended up we didn't do it, and then I went back to the states. Went to the, you know. <laughs> so today and today, imagining a train not showing up in Japan is unthinkable. Right? I know. I yeah. know. Well, it was a strike, so I don't know. Talk no. about a well-run country. Oh my God! I'm going biking there in the spring, and everything is on. You know, they just start so specific. no. They take it very seriously. Even then, I remember there was a young marine whose car stalled on the tracks. He got out of his car. Thank God. But the train hit his car, wow. <laughs> knocked it into the river, and he had to pay damages to the train, and he had to pay a fine to every single person on that train who was late for work. Wow. <laughs> they don't mess don't around. Mess around. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. Was it? Was that the first time you went abroad going to Japan? Yes. Wow. Yes, it was very exciting. And I had not had any interest in, in Asian culture particularly uh, then. But I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the food, the arts, everything. Does that still influence your aesthetic now? To a certain extent, yes. And I have a Chinese daughter. Yeah. <laughs> I love it's, all things Asian. <laughs> so, so much about the way I, – I am amazed at how clean it is, how well these countries operate. I've been to Hong Kong. I've been to Tokyo. Uh, I've been to Thailand. I've been to Cambodia. And the number of people who live there – Mm -hmm. And the way these cities and countries run is just amazing. Although outside, uh, particularly in Cambodia, there's a crazy amount of um, corruption, oh. a, an absolutely crazy amount of corruption. But for the most part, outside of that, I, I, I'm not um, widely traveled, but I've been there. And I just am amazed at how well these cities run, particularly when you go to Hong Kong. You could eat off the streets oh, in yeah. Hong Kong, yeah. and there are so many people there, and it's yes. immaculate. God forbid anybody should drop a piece of paper yeah, on the street. Yeah. And the subways and the buses are very <clears throat> efficient. And, and they yeah. and the way they are to each other, and everybody gets along. Yeah. And 
you know, on the surface anyway. I mean, I guess if you lived there, you'd probably find, you know, different political points oh, of, of view and of you know, people arguing over one thing or another. But the way these cities operate and the number of people that live there is absolutely incredible. Yeah. So what an experience to have at that age. Were you able to work while you were there? I was actually only there about three or four months because mm-hmm. we were starting to have some so you Probably. still hadn't really started your what has become an incredibly successful career. No, no. at that point, no. So come, you come back, yeah, and, and I then got a job at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in Ashland, Oregon. A job to is, do a, an acting job, yes, which is a phenomenal theater. And I did three summers there, and in between, I would go back to Seattle and work at all the theaters in Seattle. And then a summer, I'd go back to Ashland. It was. Fabulous. So you must have been thrilled when you came back and had an opportunity to pursue your career at that point. Oh, yeah. 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 Did you teach when you were at Ashland, too? No. Just purely I, I've never, I've never th- thought that I would be a very good acting teacher. I, I've actually <laughs> I directed plays a few times at my son's high school. But uh, I guess I thought if somebody asked me, well, why did you, you know, make that choice for that scene or something, I'd I mean, I'm, I think I'd be better at it now, but I'm, I used to always think, well, I, I just think, well, I don't know. It just seemed like a good idea at the time. I don't know. Were you still married to husband number one while this was going on? Yes. My first season at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, and then we just, we shortly after that, we decided to divorce. So when you were working in Oregon, were you getting paid? I was getting $65 a week. I'll so the, this was the now. beginning. <laughs> wow. And I had an apartment for 45 bucks a month. So I was loaded. You were loaded you in were the dough. <laughs> rolling in the dough. It was like, we used to call it place Happy Valley. It was fantastic. It's a beautiful place. Camp I've Osta, been there. Oregon Shakespeare Festival Association. Then it's, I found out that my grandfather actually, it was part of the WPA. He actually worked. To build in, it? The, to build the park where mm-hmm. the theater is. So that was kind of a thrill. So what was the impetus to get you from there to, I assume at some point in time you came to LA? No, New York. New York was always the goal. To do live work or to do? To do stage work. To do, yeah. The first years were all stage work, right? Oh, yeah. What I t- wish I'd stayed in New York longer. Actually, I was only there a couple of years before I auditioned for a TV show that brought me out to LA. What was what TV show was it? It was called Teachers Only with Lynn Redgrave. Oh, I remember her. And Norman Fell. It was fun. And I thought, well, I guess I've never done anything on camera. I guess it's time I found out what this is all about. So Plus the pay's better, I took right? the job. <gasps> yeah, much, much better. <laughs> much better. But that, that show was very short-lived. And I remember <laughs> I didn't know anything about the business. I mean, when we did the first um, taping in front of a live audience, I had no idea what to expect. And oh, First of all, I remember when we had our, our final kind of run-through in front of the suits, you know, and I said, who are these guys? Well, they're, you know, all the guys from the network and everything. You know, but they were, I thought, well, why are they going to tell us what's working and what's funny? I mean, who? What yeah. Is there? I mean, because they're all but, like businessmen That's the question we all ask. Yeah. You, you were an like, artist. What? <laughs> what is going on here? Who are these guys? Who are these people? You know? So anyway, the, they give us their notes and... But one of them was Warren Littlefield, who oh, yeah. has become phenomenally uh, successful, and I adore him, and he produced Fargo. Boy, he's had some career. And so we had a great time together on Fargo. But um, the first taping in front of the live audience, I remember somebody said, uh, oh, who's doing the warm-up? And I thought we were all going to get together and do vocal exercises or you know Tai Chi or something. And they said, no, 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 no. There's a stand-up comic. And he goes out and he warms up the audience. I thought, why? 
<laughs> We're doing a, a comedy. What? I don't, what? What are you talking about? That was the weirdest thing I'd ever heard. And then it's like, okay, whatever. And then we're getting ready to start. And someone said, okay, everybody line up for intros. And I said, what's that? What's that? <laughs> and, they, and they said, well, you know, they introduced the cast. So they introduced the cast one at a time. You go out and you wave or something. And, you know, and I said, before the show? Yeah, it's like the reverse of live theater. Yeah, but like, I mean, like a basketball team? You know, like yeah. a setter, we have you know, high five each other. I was like, I thought, I Toto, we are not in Kansas anymore. This was just that's so weird. <laughs> it's hilarious. I remember going to see a few shows over my lifetime that where they had live tapings, and they had the guy that would make the jokes before the show, and they mm. called it the warm up. And I always thought that was like foreplay. So you know, <laughs> so so now we've had our foreplay. Are we now going to have the big moment? You know, it didn't. It never made any sense to me. Well, I yeah, mean, they they can't have an audience that doesn't have the right energy. So that's their little insurance policy. Hopefully. Well, they want to keep them going, too, yeah. between setups, because sometimes yeah. setups take a long time. But oftentimes, you see this where the warm-up guy is far more entertaining than the show, <laughs> and the audience is actually disappointed when they have to go back. Yeah, it's a gamble. To the show for a minute, and they can't wait to get back to the guy who's throwing them donuts and making, you know, crazy jokes and stuff. Do you, do you as a performer, like, prefer one over the other, not from a pay perspective, but from an experiential perspective? Is live theater still something that just really kind of hits a button inside oh, of you? Oh, yeah. That There's nothing like it. It's been too long, too long, too long. Um, it's terrifying sometimes, but it's it's it, it's like apples and oranges. It's not. It's almost like a different industry. It's just not mm -hmm. the same at all. Most people that we've spoken to in your field Love the live performing. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. The problem is if you have kids, it is the worst possible schedule to have. Right. Because you're gone every night. Bedtime, bath time, story yeah. Bed time. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much work today, too, in your industry. It's incredible. It's just bursting at the seams with new stuff. Yeah. And it seems to me, I don't know this for a fact, but it seems to me that the quality of the work that's out today on all these all these outlets is yeah. really, really good. No, no, I mean, absolutely. obviously you don't like every show, but yeah. there's a lot of fantastic programming. Yeah, and most television these days that is considered to be good is, is far superior to most movies that come out. You've been a working actor forever. I mean, you've all the way back from the beginning. Was there ever so a period of time fortunate. where you had any downtime where you didn't have a job? Not really. Actually, after Fargo, which... And I probably got, you know, more positive reaction from Fargo than almost anything else I've ever done. And crickets. For how long? For, yeah. A year. And for in your business, that must have felt like a hundred like, years. What happened? Yeah. And I got to be honest, I really think it was because of the way I looked in the show. It's possible. I think people suddenly went, whoa. Right. She's good, but dang. <laughs> What's happened to her? <laughs> you know? We skipped over the the part about your personal life. So along the way, you met Richard, your lovely husband. I did. I did. I didn't. Your think lovely I'd ever, husband of 31 years. 31 years. I didn't think I'd ever meet somebody in LA that I wanted to marry. How'd you meet him? On Designing Women. So you guys met. Yeah. And, and did you, it was, was it love at first sight? It was for me. I think it was maybe the next day for him. <laughs> <laughs> so now you meet Richard. I meet Richard. And, and now I what had, does Richard do? 
Richard's an actor, and he, I know, I knew I had seen him in some things, so I recognized him. Saw him at the top of these stairs, and he was talking to somebody. He had this great smile and these great little smile lines around his eyes, and he just looked adorable and so friendly. And and he was talking to somebody, and it was in a building where a few shows did meetings and readings and things like that. And I thought, oh, I hope he's doing a guest spot on our show. <laughs> so I go into the conference room where we're reading, and there he was. And he was sitting right across from me. He can tell you what I was wearing that day. Oh, so Aww. he did take notice. So sweet. That's he did so take notice. sweet. Very romantic. Plus, I was the only person in the cast that he hadn't met or worked with, and he had dated Delta briefly. He didn't like, tell me that for a very long time. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. It was. I immediately just was drawn to him, and uh, he had this outrageous sense of humor. Which now would be like a Me Too thing if I hadn't thought he was so cute. <laughs> it was just, just dreadful. <laughs> Everything is a Me dreadful Too thing now. jokes, he said. But um, I invited him to play Scrabble in my trailer. Um, wow. What an educated game to invite somebody to yes, play. Yes. I think I gave You him, must have been very confident if you invited Oreos him to play Scrabble. And, you know, that was it. And he was doing a play. <laughs> he was doing a play at the time while he was shooting this guest, but he was playing Annie's boyfriend on the show. I went to see the play four times or something. <laughs> but that week, it was it was actually a great way to get to know somebody that you know, you're attracted to because it wasn't like you meet and then, oh, God, you have to wait. Is he going to call me? Is he going to ask me out? Are we going to go out on a date? Because you had to be together every day rehearsing. So it was a wonderful way to get to know each other in a way that wasn't a forced situation like a date. There was no pressure. And it was fun. And I told him after a few days, I, I said, I said, you know, I just want you to know why you know, I've been so friendly in inviting you to play Scrabble and stuff is because every episode we have a guest star and each one of us takes turns being assigned to that guest star to be kind of welcoming and friendly and stuff like that. Of course, I was making that up. And, <laughs> and he did not believe me for one second. Anyway, so. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> a little distance just to I'm make him want to come forward a little bit more. That lasted about five minutes. Yeah. I'm in charge of you this week. <laughs> You know, there there's a guest star you had that I'm a little obsessed with, Dolly Parton. What was it oh, like to work with Dolly? God, she is so adorable. She played my fairy godmother on the show when I had my baby on the show. That was phenomenal. She's was a it? tiny little thing, isn't she? Oh, dear God. I mean, she, she you know, I mean, I'm 5'9". It's not that tall, but, you know, she's very petite. And she had on, you know a foot tall wig and, you know, six inch heels and was wearing this jewel encrusted gown. And I had on almost no makeup. I had a big giant pregnancy pad because my actual baby had been born about six weeks before. So they had to pad me because my character was still pregnant. And she, I think she came up to my shoulder, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Even and, with and all I'm that. there in a bathrobe and slippers and no makeup and a big stomach. And there's this gorgeous little sparkly princess next to me. She was just adorable. Could she is adorable. Sweeter. Could what not a... have been sweeter. Yeah. Everything about her is so, I'm so admiring of her. Her joy of life, her, yeah. I mean, I don't know what she's like in person, but she certainly has that appearance Talk about of just a success being, story from, right. Can you from imagine that? a difficult childhood. Yeah. And she's wow. so feminine. Oh, but you, but you said that you won't meet another woman who's more feminine than Dixie Carter. I heard <gasps> you said that. It's true. I said that to Hal once, and he said, oh, my gosh. Tell us about Dixie. You, you, you nailed it. <laughs> she, uh, 
The first time I laid eyes on Dixie Carter, I went to an off-Broadway play called A Couple of White Chicks Sitting Around Talking with a friend of mine. And this actress prances out on stage like a prize filly and (laughs) just with this sassy Southern accent. And she was one of the most gorgeous women I'd ever seen in my life. And she was hilarious and sexy and cheeky. And I just thought, who is this? She is glorious. And and then a couple years later, I was working with her. Wow. It was fantastic. Wow. And one of the things I admired about her was when we started the show, she had two daughters, two darling daughters. They were like Snow White and Rose Red. They were both beautiful, one with long blonde hair and big blue eyes and pink rosy cheeks, and the other one was sort of olive-skinned and auburn hair and brown eyes and, you know, very gorgeous. And I, they were so cute, and they were about a year apart at the most, maybe 10, 11 months apart. And they were, I think, something like 12 and 13 or something like that when we first started doing the show. And they worshipped her. Wow. Worshipped the ground she walked on. And I said to her, because I had no kids yet, and I said, how did you do that? How did you do that? Because you always hear that, especially girls and mothers yeah. have at that age have you no know, knock heads all the time. And she said, I just instilled in them that if you want to be included, you know, <laughs> on trips and parties and hotels, and you you just, you know, there's certain kind of manners and the way you comport yourself and all this kind of stuff. But they, it wasn't just that. They just thought she was a goddess. Mm-hmm. A goddess. Yeah, a that's kind of like all of our sons feel about us, right? Well, yeah, right. <laughs> but, you know, it reminds me it reminds me of Yolanda Hadid and her daughters. Yeah. Like, she really taught them manners. She said, you know what? You're beautiful girls, but there are more beautiful girls than you. You need to be uh, separating yourself based on how you behave. Yeah. And that's, because if somebody falls in love with you just for your looks and there's nothing else there, you're not going to be a happy person. Yeah, yeah, and her sense of it was in work, too. It's like when you show up on, you know, to a studio to have a photo shoot, you need to be kind to everybody in the room. Oh, yeah. So everybody wants to work with you again. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That must be true in your business as well, right? Oh, my God, yeah. yes. It, you don't want to be on that life is too short to work with list. And, you know. Has there ever been a time that you haven't worked? No. You've always worked. Yeah, and you're so versatile. I've tried, to be, I've tried to be choosy. I try to be choosy about what I do. It gets harder. It gets harder as you get older. There's fewer opportunities. But That whole industry now is going through such an amazing change on so many levels. Yeah. The whole Me Too thing for sure. Yeah. But I also there's so much programming. Yes, indeed. There's, indeed. It's everywhere. It's yeah. amazing amount of programming, which creates amazing amount of opportunity. Yes, yes it does. No, I, that, I'm sorry. Great. I overspoke you when I no. said the Me Too movement. What did you say? Oh, no, no. I just said I hope that's not just a phase. Yeah, it's doubtful that this is just a phase. Good. It's doubtful. I had a conversation yesterday morning um, with a very, very well-known executive. I was at the um, Beverly Hills Hotel with him and um, that's like a power breakfast spot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, so in there, in that room, were a half a dozen male executives that I know all of, every single one of them. He was, he and I were sitting there. He's also extremely well known. And not one guy came by that didn't make a comment about Les Moonves. Wow. And, but when he and I were speaking privately, he said to me, you know, this is this is why I think this isn't going away. He said, I'm not going to be in a room anymore with a woman with that with the door closed. 
if I see a woman and I end up alone in an elevator with her, I'm going to be very careful to stand in enough of a distance from her that she can't accuse me of anything. Well, that's kind of sad. And he said, so that's what I said to him. It's gotten to, and he said, I know that the pendulum will swing back a little bit. He said, but it is very, very clear now to all of us that we must be respectful at all times. And yeah. so that line to me that we must be respectful was a very important line. No, that's good. And that's good. But hopefully it doesn't shut down communication because frankly, uh, or just in the corporate world, it's one of the problems. Men are less inclined to promote women because they don't know them as well. And part of the trick is like being known as an right, individual right, right. because, you know, you'll promote or give a give a sort of stretch opportunity to somebody you know and trust. Right. And if you aren't speaking to them, that's hard to right. accomplish. Well, it, it'll ha- it has to get to some moderate place. Yeah. But at the same time, and I'm sure that this has happened and or you've either been a party to it or observed it. Why yeah. are you touching me? What is your, why is your hand on me? Right. You know, what are you doing? I remember I had lunch with a producer one time. He went to talk to me about this project, and we went out to dinner, and his wife came. I thought, oh, well, that's nice. You're out his wife. That's nice. And he, under the table, he put his hand on my leg, on my thigh, and left it there for a long time. And I thought, oh, God, what am I supposed to do? You know, because you're brought up. It's like you don't embarrass anybody. You don't make waves. You don't. You know, he's not hurting you, so you don't scream and yell. What do you do? And you just sort of sit there like a fool. But also, too, more than anything, if we'd been alone, I probably would have made a joke. Right. You know, and it's like, and it would have been fine. But I certainly didn't want to embarrass his wife. And I'm wondering now, when I think about it, that if his wife thought, oh, no, you're not having dinner alone with some young actress. So I was right. very young at the time. Um, and today, though, if the same thing happened again today and the guy put his hand on you and his wife was at the table, what would you do today? Again, if his wife was there, I I, I would, I think I'd just physically try to <laughs> take his hand off your right. leg, <laughs> move my chair or something or something. Yeah. So what are you doing now? I have been busier than I've ever been this year. It's crazy. It's just crazy. I should look up my horoscope or something. <laughs> I just... I did a little part in a movie called A Simple Favor, and I just did a little part in a movie called Life Itself. You've also I, worked with Tony Hale, who's one of my favorite oh, character actors. Adore him. Oh, let me get back to him. Yeah. I am I'm adore him. Um, He's awesome. I just played the president in a movie with Melissa McCarthy and James Corden, which was just a blast. I, I told my that. daughter I was playing the president. She went, you're playing Trump? <laughs> no, honey. Well, no. you went from playing a crazy president's wife to yeah. yes. Now I've got yeah. a promotion. you've been upgraded. Yeah, yes. You and I'm right anything. now. I'm in the middle of shooting a um, a miniseries called Dirty John. It's based on a podcast. I know that podcast. That's a great one. I know that podcast. That's fantastic. I get to age like 25 years in it. It's really. Fun. And how are your children? Your lovely children. <gasps> They're great. They're great. My son's 28. My daughter just turned 10. And we adopted her from China. I remember when that happened. It feels like it was yesterday. This was 10 years ago. Jesus. You know, the biggest problem when you start to get older is that it goes much faster than it did when you were young. It accelerates. It's It's like like you're way faster. I guess because you're going downhill. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) You just just go faster and faster and faster. That's going to become my favorite line. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That is so funny. (laughs) 
Oh my God! I never thought about that before, but that's so either, true. Suddenly had that image. Like, yeah, we're speeding now. Shoo! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. I had a. I had a. It's almost my birthday. I had a birthday. Uh, but literally, I swear to God, birthday? it was yesterday, and it wasn't yesterday. It was almost a year ago. I'm like, oh my God, another year passed, and it went so fast. Wait, when's your birthday? It's September 22nd. When's your birthday? Thirteenth yesterday. Yesterday was your birthday. Happy birthday! Thank We're you. Virgos. I didn't know I, that about that's you. That's why I like you so much. Oh my Virgos God! Virgos are the only sign apparently that like their own sign and who date their own sign, marry their own sign, hang out with their own. There's sign. so many personality traits about Virgos that are so interesting to me, and they're they're so similar. To who I am, we we'll have to have that conversation in depth because Virgos are really interesting. And you and I, on the new horoscope uh, calendar, you know they changed the signs. They added a thirteenth sign, and they explained because of the way the Earth moves the against the sun, the and, the and the this and the that, and the that. So my son, um, whose birthday was September first, used to be a Virgo, and now he's not anymore. He's a Leo. And you and I, though, stayed Virgos. You know, I don't really know what how much stock to put in it. I mean, it is fascinating, though. The I'll more send you, you the link to it. They yeah. they added the thirteenth sign. You guys are my dominant friend sign. I have more people in your sign than any other sign. Really? What's your like sign? Like Sagittarius. Well, oh, it was. The sluts of the Zodiac. The sluts of the Zodiac, yeah. for sure. <laughs> Super. I'm sorry, that's what I heard. I'm sorry. Well, you know what it is? We're, we tend to be, not all of us, but we tend to be really um, curious and friendly and open. My sister. Yeah. Yeah. My yeah. Sister. Sluts of I the used, Zodiac. Used, Thanks used, a lot, Jean. I used to <laughs> sorry, sorry. Jesus. <laughs> nice. Nice. That's so, so But funny. I want to talk about you playing Gary's mom in Veep because like oh, to me. Oh my God, I hope they have her back. I loved that. I I know. To me, that was like such the essence of what you're capable of doing because you're so capable of being funny and being dramatic and being deep. And like there's a story behind you that you don't have to tell because it comes through. What was it like? Would you be my publicist? Yeah, sure. I'll help you write your stuff. (laughs) What was that like jumping into a show like that? Oh, it's a little scary because you yeah. know it's 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 such a massive hit, and you don't want to do anything to you know, but then, bring it down. But then it's then it's. But it was Tony. it was great fun, and I mean I'm just a huge admirer of Julia and and Tony. Oh my God, he is just adorable. What an incredibly nice man. When we were sitting there doing the first table read, you know, and as the guest actor, you're kind of nervous. You don't want to blow it, and you're making sure that you've highlighted all your lines. And you're not going to you know miss one and. And he would, every once in a while, he would, kind of what he does with Julia's character, he would lean over and whisper to me, oh, in case you didn't know, that's pronounced, that's some, some in-joke in the script or something. Or he'd say, oh, that's the da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> I mean, he <laughs> was generous. just adorable mm-hmm. and hilarious and, and very moving, actually, in that episode. He was... Yeah, I've only yeah. just started to watch Veep. I'm watching it. Oh I'm serial god. watching it now on. Uh, Isn't it incredible? Oh my god! Well, Kevin Dunn is a good friend of mine. Oh, I'm so jealous. He's on that show. I have time. to say that episode and and the characters, the the character that you played and and the character that Stephen Root played. I mean, it was filling in a blank. Stephen's great. It was filling in a blank in the story of who Gary the character is and helps us to understand him. And he. There's a lot of pathos around him mm-hmm. that's coming forward yeah. that was, you know, he was treated as not as a, as dimensional. Now mm-hmm. he's becoming much more dimensional and God knows what will happen. I'm not even sure that that uh, Tony completely understands what will happen. But both of you came in and just nailed it. Oh, so much fun. Yeah. It was really fun. Yeah, it's such a great show. You know, Julia told me that um, 
they talk to people in D.C. and they say, this show is not an exaggeration of what it's like. <laughs> it's a little frightening. Where now, nowadays, I, I believe her because um, it sounds like it's It's amazing. What crazy. a career. What a career. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. I'm so proud of you. I'm really proud of you to know that we're both Virgos. Yeah. That's right. And when's your birthday again? And the 22nd. Oh I've chosen gosh. to ignore it. Well, I know the feeling. <laughs> I know the feeling. Because oh. now I'm now I'm just downhill. So this is going to go. <laughs> it goes faster because you're going so downhill. Funny. That is so funny. That needs to be put on your sort of Wikipedia page as one of your quotable quotes because that's pretty. Funny. Oh, I, I just thought of that. <laughs> you know what? I didn't I, shoot. I didn't mention the one thing that actually did start my my whole career. Please, which was a play I did in New York. I, w- I just moved to New York. I didn't have a lot of money. I was sleeping at my friend, friend of mine from college, her apartment. And I just was going through backstage looking for auditions, you know, the trade paper. And uh, and I, I read this ad for this off-off Broadway play with eight women characters in it. Uh, and I thought, that sounded interesting. And plus, the audition was in an apartment very near my friend's house. So I thought, well, I, I know I can find that, so I'll go to that one. <laughs> so I went in and to the apartment, and there was this gal sitting there. She was unlike any person I'd ever met. She uh, had pink hair and nose rings, and, and uh, she was very sweet, very nice. She was a cabaret singer, I found out later, who decided she wanted to uh, direct a play about lesbians. She was gay. And that whole thing was kind of new to me. I, I didn't think I'd ever met a lesbian at that point, <laughs> which I'm sure I'd met many of them. But and so she they cast, weren't out then. Exactly. Yeah. And she cast me in this play, and we started rehearsing. And about a week later, she gets a call from the playwright's manager saying, "Excuse me, who are you, and why are you?" directing my client's play. <laughs> she didn't even bother <laughs> to get the rights or anything. She just thought it'd be fun. And she and but the manager was very nice and said, tell you what, you can't do that one, but she's got a play sitting in a drawer that's never been done. It's been sitting there for a few years. She's never even heard it read out loud. If you want to do that play, you can have it. It was called Last Summer at Bluefish Cove. And it was about a, a gay woman who and all her friends who every summer go to this beach colony near kind of like a fire island kind of situation for gay women. And uh, this straight woman who's just been divorced accidentally rents a house there, unbeknownst to her that it's a gay community. And I meet her. She's wandering down the beach, and I'm out fishing, and I meet her. But it's also the summer that I'm dying of cancer. And she becomes like the love of my life. Wow. Oh, Wow. And wow. I turn her around. Oh. <laughs> wow. And that started my whole career. So I got my agent. That's how I got my first Broadway play. And uh, and uh, I was nominated for a drama desk. And then when I moved to L.A., I did it again in L.A. for about a year. Isn't and that's amazing? how I got a TV series on HBO. And just, wow. and just because you— great role. Serendipity. You, you stumble. Yeah, serendipity. Just kismet. Like the, the you make yeah. the path by walking it. Just. Yeah. Wow. Love that story. Super Thank cool. you so much for You're coming. So welcome, Thanks, Jean. What a pleasure having this conversation with you. Next time, you'll meet Amy Rosenberg. Her life story isn't like that of the others in our series because her career is just beginning. But why we chose to interview her is because she grew up knowing some of the top 
legendary rock and rollers ever to hit the music scene. That's because her dad is one of the partners in a music management company in London. As a result, she's met people like Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend of The Who, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin, as well as the likes of Ronnie Wood, David Beckham, The Spice Girls, The Foo Fighters, Sting, and Ed Sheeran, just to name a few. Being backstage at rock concerts since she was a young girl has given her an interesting perspective on the lives of celebrity rock stars. So join us when we rewind to the beginning with Amy Rosenberg on the next Say It Forward. Thanks for listening to Say It Forward. Help us grow by subscribing to our podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or at www.sayitforwardpodcast.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on the iTunes store or like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. 